Welcome to the Tallyroom Podcast. I'm Ben Rowie. Today, I'm joined by Kevin Bonham to talk about the race for the upper house of the Victorian state election. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Ben. Victoria is the only jurisdiction in Australia that still uses the discredited group voting tickets method in the election of its upper house, which has severely distorted the last two upper house elections. Nominations closed last week for the election with record numbers of candidates resulting in double-decker ballot papers for every upper house region. The announcement of each party's tickets over the weekend opens up the possibility of another wave of minor parties winning seats on minuscule votes. Just to give you a bit of a context on what's going on here, we're recording on Monday at lunchtime. Uh, I've just finished putting out a blog post with all the breakdowns of the group voting tickets. We're going to go into a bit of that on this podcast. Um, there are 22 parties that are running statewide, if you count the coalition kind of as one party, and two independents. So every party is running a full ticket across the state, creating these huge ballot papers, 22 groups on each one. One of the regions has two independent groups as well, but very consistent between them. Kevin, have you had a chance to assess who has done best out of the preference tickets? I've only had a broad look with them just coming out yesterday and they're very they're very complex to, to analyse. The biggest sort of takeaway is that the, the minor party alliance, Glenn Drury's uh, parties, is not as strong as it was last time. There's a couple of rival blocks, one of which is a, a sort of a left block that's preferencing each other more strongly than in the past. In the past, some of the left parties have tended to preference other micro parties. Uh, who are across the political spectrum. And there's also a number of right-wing parties who are preferencing each other to a degree. So it doesn't seem like the election is likely to be as, as dominated by parties working with Glenn Drury as the last one was in terms of who wins those final seats. But some of them have still done... Uh, very well. And in a lot of cases, those are the incumbent crossbench MPs, but uh, not always. Yeah. So there's kind of three broad groups you can look at. There is cross-preferencing between them and the right-wing block, it's not really a block. They haven't really done a collective deal. They're more kind of the parties that are left over, the parties that were willing to preference the Liberal Party quite highly, apart from the Liberals themselves. and that kind of thing. Uh, the left block is probably the most interesting story, actually, because animal justice, we're hearing reports, I've heard them a number of times, that a number of parties, although animal justice is really the only one I've been able to identify, um, broke the deal, basically. There, um, Anthony Green had a tweet that there was a show-and-tell session on Sunday morning before the tickets were submitted where everyone was meant to show their paperwork to each other as a gesture of trust, and it doesn't sound like it went very well. I'm imagining shouting and yelling and waving pieces of paper in the air. I don't know. But um, one of the things you see when you look at these is particularly in North Victoria. So the way that the Drury Alliance theory kind of works is you pick one party, ideally, maybe one or two if you have to, that gets the full force of all the preferences directed at them to give them the best chance to stay in the race and you cycle it through all the different areas so everyone gets a turn. Um, Animal Justice was the party in Northern Victoria. You look at it, they've done very well. But Animal Justice has not helped the alliance. And I'm just going to keep calling them the alliance now. I know we talk a lot about Glenn Drury, but these are these are independent people who make their own decisions, who've chosen to form a team together. Animal Justice hasn't preferenced the alliance at all. They've done a completely separate deal, but they've still gotten the benefits of that deal, particularly in North Vic, maybe a little bit in uh, North Metro as well. Yes, these reports of ratting are you know, tre- tremendously exciting, but um, also a bit disreputable because uh, you know it's not really 
democracy, but then again, Norway's group ticket voting, so you don't really know whether to laugh or cry when you uh, when you hear this stuff. It used to happen a lot more uh, with the the networked deals that we saw, uh, particularly in the last Victorian election. There was a, a much higher degree of discipline, and uh, you didn't hear of these sorts of scruffy things. As one of the ones that happened in the past, sometimes was the parties um, didn't even put in their group ticket. Um, so, and then sometimes that was alleged to have been done deliberately. Um, and it, it, when these things used to be less coordinated, it used to be a much greater risk that one side wouldn't keep their, their side of the deal, which is something that I think if, if Fiona Patton's um, proposal to, to nobble uh, um, preference harvesting consultants ever got up, I think that you would see you would see more of this sort of thing. It would become more decentralised and you'd get more uh, more people uh, welshing on, uh, on deals. But it's... Um, kind of interesting if you get one party sort of getting the benefit of a deal that it hasn't actually reciprocated on. Yeah, no, it's not a sustainable strategy. You can't do it a second time, but maybe it works for them this one time. It's always possible that this will be the last election conducted on, on this system, although Anthony Green has been predicting that for multiple elections now and it still hasn't been fixed. And we do we do want to get into talking a little bit more about the, the systemic stuff, the constitutional stuff as well, not just talking about the grid voting tickets, although they did come out yesterday and they are important. That's broadly what's going on, but if we look inside these blocks, there's some interesting stories to um, Transport Matters. Let's talk about them for a sec. Uh, Rod Barton, who got elected in what was then East Metro for Transport Matters in 2018, kind of a taxi lobbying party. Um, he's done extremely well from preferences. He's part of the alliance. The alliance preferences are going to him very clearly, but he's also getting Labor and the Greens are both preferencing him before they preference each other. Whereas generally Labor and the Greens have, we'll, we'll talk about the left block in a minute, but generally the Labor and the Greens have preferenced each other reasonably high, but they've both gone to Barton over each other. Uh, what, what, how do you rate his chances? Barton was one of the ones who was elected on a very low vote share last time, 0.6%. And uh, on my uh, reading of these uh, preference flows, if he got 0.6% again, that might well be enough. He's in a network of minor parties who are directing to him either immediately or pretty soon after immediately. And if he gets over a few of those, gets going, he's on a spiral which might build to something like maybe 10%. It's, it's hard to predict the vote shares for some of these parties. Some of them will have changed a lot from last time. Um, and at that point, he just has to get over one of Labor or the Greens and he's in. So uh, it, it seems that Barton's position is very strong. That's not to guarantee that he wins. It's, it's always been very difficult to predict these um, group ticket voting elections, you can often say, oh, it looks like there's enough out there that's going to elect some people from very low vote shares. But then who actually gets the seats is sometimes a surprise. But Barton's position does look very good. And for him, I mean, below the line voting is his kryptonite, right? Like if more people vote below the line, you could imagine a situation where his... um his lead gets chipped away, chipped away a little bit at a time. We'll come back to below voting in a minute, but the, the how it's relevant here, there's a blog post as well that talks about this that compared Anthony Green's estimates of who would win just based on above-the-line votes and then the real results, which reflect that not everyone voted above the line. And you do see Aussie Battler Party, who ran in 2018, uh, were expected to win a seat, but they got knocked out earlier because their lead just got decayed thanks to votes 
leaking or exhausting. And uh, in the end, it wasn't enough to stay in front. Yeah, it's a typical situation where um, below-the-line voting uh, stuffs up one of these preference spirals is a case where a micro-party is coming from a low vote and trying to beat a party that's projected to get just short of a quota and that's mostly doing that on primary votes. Um, And if enough people vote below the line, then the party with the higher primary vote tends to pick up just this trickle of below-the-line votes and get over, or also the uh, party coming up from a very low vote could be hurt by uh, votes exhausting. At the last election, a couple of preference spirals were ruined, and there was one case where someone who didn't get deserved to be elected was beaten by someone else who didn't get deserved to be elected as a result of uh, this messing with one of the uh, tipping points in the race. That can be another thing. Often the, um, the calculator's preference spiral has some critical point where someone would win if all the votes were ticket votes, but because not all the votes are ticket votes, they get knocked out at an early stage where they don't get over some party they need to get over. Let's not go through all of them, but uh, there's there's a number of regions where the Alliance is focusing its preferences on the Hinch Party, Western Vic, Southeast Metro. They're sharing in Southeast Metro with Lib Dems, who are also sharing with Animal Justice in Northern Vic. Eastern Vic, it's primarily the Health Australia Party who don't hold a seat, but there's also some of it going to the shooters who do, who um, I have to say, I don't think the shooters have done particularly well out of this deal for a party that has one of the larger, you know, the what's left of the alliance is mostly parties that have a really small vote, whereas the bigger minor parties, the Greens obviously, but United Australia, One Nation, Animal Justice, they're all sitting on the outer. Um, and the shooters are one of the few remaining like more highly polling minor parties left in this alliance and they've only got kind of seconds in one region. So that's an interesting thing for them. I'm not really sure. I feel like the shooters are probably not benefiting very much from the system at this point and they uh, probably would have won a second seat in 2018 without group voting tickets. And then the other one to mention as well, Sustainable Australia, who have an incumbent in South Metro getting preferenced and the DLP, worth mentioning, who... Uh, didn't get anyone elected last election, but have two incumbents running for them, one ex-Labor, one ex-Liberal. They both do very well out of preferences in West Metro and North Metro. So Adam Somurek, uh, personal enemy of the blog, um, who is responsible for the backwards shift in Victorian local council elections before he got kicked out of the ALP, um, is he looking like he, he has a good shot of winning as a Democratic Labor Party candidate in North Metro, um, but there might not be enough votes for those parties there to, to put someone across the line. They haven't they haven't done so in the past. Yeah, I haven't looked at those in great detail. I have been seeing some 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 other um, modelling floating around suggesting that uh, the the DLP is well placed with both of its uh, star uh, recruits. Um, the DLP also benefits from when it draws on the left side of Labor, it picks up from voter confusion, parties voting for it by, by mistake, they think it's the Labor Party. And a similar thing happens with the, the Liberal Democrats and the and the Liberals. But it, it's not a it's not a huge benefit. I, I looked at what the benefit is for the for the DLP in Victoria and found that the benefit of them drawing to the left was about 0.9% on average, so it's not massive. If you get a really strong preference flow, that 0.9 can give you that little boost you need. It's... You know, group voting tickets are the original sin, but they they have all these flow-on problems they create, right? And this is one of them that 
to explain, you get these huge ballots because even if a party only thinks they have a chance of winning in one region, they find candidates to run everywhere so they have preferences to swap. So even if the same contenders were in play, you could easily have ballots that have seven or eight parties and it'd be fine because they're the only ones who have a chance. But everyone runs everywhere. So you've got 22, which means, you know, seeing the word liberal or seeing the word labor and just voting for that party without really paying that much attention is much more of a thing. It's how David Lionhelm got elected to the Senate was, uh, was you know, uh, off a giant vote from confusion. Yes, there were some special characters with that one where Lionhelm got elected there. They had drawn the first place on the ballot paper. The Liberals were way down the other end. Uh, the way the party names appeared on the ballot fueled the confusion still further. So it was... Uh, a perfect storm of um, confusion that led to the Liberal Democrats polling as high as they, they did. But it's also a recurrent feature that this happens to to some degree uh, with the, the Liberal Democrats incumbents. It's notable that uh, David Limbrick has picked up a, a really nice position on the ballot paper where he's way to the left of the, of the, uh, the Liberals on the ballot, whereas uh, Tim Quilty has drawn um, one spot to the right of them, which is a, probably about the worst thing you could possibly get. And those are the two incumbent Liberal Democrat MLCs? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about this left block. So the left block, Animal Justice, Reason, both of whom have a sitting MLC, uh, legalized cannabis, who won two seats under group voting tickets in the last WA state election, and Victorian socialists. Um, those parties are largely preferencing each other, although the socialists usually put the Greens a bit higher on theirs, and they are keeping the votes within that block of four. And then from that, they are preferencing Greens and Labor after that, before they go to anyone else. There's two regions in rural Victoria where they're preferencing Labor ahead of the Greens. Um, but usually to the Greens. That's good news for the Greens probably, but also potentially good news for them. You know, it gives them potentially a boost. Um, well, I guess we'll see. Animal justice gets the benefits of both, but Reason has been on the outer with the Minor Party Alliance for a while, so they've been kind of looking for a different partner to help them out with their incumbent MLC, Fiona Patton, in North Metro. Animal Justice Party gets a, a decent vote in its own right, and legalised cannabis will probably get a decent vote in its own right. As Glenn Drury has said, you just you just whack the word cannabis on the ballot paper and you get about 1% just from having cannabis in your party name. Um, so that those... I did, I did notice also looking around some of the group ticket voting flows that legalised cannabis tended to pop up higher than the other left parties and quite a lot of them. So it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of this and if we do get any left micro seats elected or if these or if a lot of these just, just feed into Labor and the Greens and help the um, the Greens to have uh, not as bad a result as, as last time where the Greens were... Uh, beaten by preference spirals almost everywhere. To talk briefly about the Greens, they got three people elected at the first two elections under this system, then five, then one. Uh, a little bit of that was their primary vote. I think if their primary vote picks up a little, that will improve their position, bring them closer to quotas and things like that. But a lot of it was that they did particularly badly out of the tickets in 2018, and that's not so true this time. So I think they'll probably at least pick up South Metro. Um maybe some other ones, Sustainable Australia, who are holding a seat and they're in the minor party alliance. Their voters are kind of on the left. So they're they're one of the left parties that's not part of this left block. That, that one will be a good one to watch, but it'll be interesting to see how whether the Greens can pick up some other seats elsewhere, what their vote is. If they can start to get above quotas, obviously they'll win seats anyway and the tickets won't matter to them. 
but when they're in that kind of danger zone, the killing zone of like the 0.7, 0.8 quotas, you're not really an attractive preference partner, um, but you're not strong enough to win on your own. There's been a bit of a myth put about by um, some of the defenders of the existing system, the other micro parties particularly have been saying that that the Greens benefited from the system before uh, 2018. And it's not that's not true. It's just that they weren't harmed by it. They were tending to uh, to win seats on leading quotas, uh, whereas in 2018 there were a number of seats where they were notionally in front and then got snowballed. Um, I also had a bit of a look at South Metro, and it did seem there that the Greens are quite well placed, especially since their primary vote is likely to increase. Um, generally assuming modelling for this election that Labor's primary vote will go uh, will go down, uh, the Greens' primary vote will probably go up a bit, and the Liberals won't do much. And then trying to work out what's going to happen with a lot of the other micro parties is more difficult because you've got so many new ones, some of which have um, gimmicky names like Angry Victorians and Sack Daniel Andrews and so on. It's it's hard to say what's going to happen with a lot of these minor party vote shares, but the, the Greens do look like they, they, they should at least get two this time uh, and they may get more. One of my favourite stories that I want to talk about that I've noticed is the Sack Daniel Andrews party, which are... Uh, partly consists of people who used to be in the Labor Party, in a number of regions has split their preferences to make sure that their preferences split 50-50 between the Coalition and Labor, which doesn't feel very sacked Daniel Andrews to me, to be honest. It's a bit of a funny one. Um, one of the bits of analysis I did, which was about what would have happened in the last four elections without grid voting tickets. And indeed, the Greens did win a seat in 2010 that I think they probably wouldn't have without grid voting tickets, which is West Metro, but that's one seat and by a tiny margin. In 2014, they won one seat they probably shouldn't have, but also lost another seat that they probably should have won. And then, of course, in 2018, it was much worse. So the Greens, it's not that it can never have an impact for them, but it's always on the margins right at the edge of things. You know, 2001, federally, yeah, the Greens won in New South Wales thanks to One Nation preferences, but they didn't do a deal with One Nation. And simultaneously, they also lost a seat in WA that they would have won without group voting tickets. So it's never been something that's helped them out, and it didn't exist as a way to get a boost. It also brings up for me the question, which this election will be a test of. In the past, group voting tickets have allowed small parties to get elected. They haven't helped them maintain those seats and build up into a stronger force, right? The Shooters, Fishers, Farmers vote went up in 2018, but they went from two seats to one seat because they didn't do as well out of preferences. They had a bit of bad luck. It'll be interesting this time to see if incumbents can get re-elected, but it's not a system that encourages sustainable party growth of new forces, which is probably why some people in the Victorian Labor Party love it so much, you know. It creates a kind of disparate group of people, most of whom don't have much of a chance of getting re-elected. Yeah, the history of people who get elected as micro-party MPs from behind uh, getting re-elected in, um, in group ticket voting is pretty poor. The, the, uh, the re-election rate is... Uh, below 50%. It's probably, even so, that's probably still higher than you might expect. Um, there have been standout cases like um, Nick Xenophon in South Australia originally um, elected to South Australian Parliament from a not very high vote share and then becomes really popular. But generally, that's not how, not what happens. Um, the Shooters last time is a, a sort of a standout case of what is wrong with group ticket voting because they 
grew their vote. They got elected. They grew their vote from from a few percent to uh, something like seven percent, and they lost. They lost because they were snowballed by two parties that uh, that finished below them: uh, Hinch Justice and the uh, and the Liberal Democrats. So they got sort of a vote that suggests serious uh, electoral merit, um, and yet they were defeated. So where is the accountability to voters here? It's like like you know. Parties are more accountable to uh, a typo in Glen spreadsheets than they are to, uh, to to the will of voters as to whether they get re-elected or not. That's not right, and that is sort of one overwhelming reason why group ticket voting should be abolished by itself. And then I want to touch on the impact of below-the-line voting on recent elections, but also why people should do it. To start with that, um, my bit of analysis looked at as I said earlier, compared the Anthony Green everything is above the line calculator to the real results. And I actually think three seats changed hands because of it. The Aussie Battler Party would have won a seat over the shooters, actually. The shooters would have won no seats at all if it was all above the line. Uh, the Liberal Party, who polled 0.98 of a quota in Northern Metro, would have lost to the Hinch Party because they just were blockaded very thoroughly and just did not receive any above-the-line preferences. And the Liberal Democrats would have won instead of Transport Matters. And in all the other seats, the the leads also narrowed. Um, the Greens' defeat to Sustainable Australia, which w- was projected to be about 23,000 votes, ended up being about 3,000 votes. Um, in all cases, like, you're right, Kevin, a lot of these people who were the beneficiaries of below-the-line voting, wouldn't have been elected at all if if our group voting tickets didn't exist. But generally, with one exception, which was Hinch and the DLP in Western Metro, the party that benefited from below-the-line votes being added had a higher vote, was a stronger presence. It might have been the Greens or it might have just been, you know, there's kind of two categories of these little minor parties. There's the ones that have a solid couple of percent of the vote, not enough to win a seat on their own, but you know, they get a real vote, they got a real presence, and then the tiny parties that really are just a couple of people, you know, trying their luck. And generally, below-the-line voting benefited those parties with a solid couple of percent of the vote rather than those parties with a tiny vote trying their luck. When voters choose their own preferences, which is what happens with below-the-line voting, it's the same as what happens with Senate preferences when people choose to preference parties above the line to a large degree, which is that the more popular parties do better out of voter-chosen preferences, and the big three, to a degree one nation as well, uh, and the, um, the the obscure parties don't get don't get voter chosen preferences, but also the uh, the spreading of preferences that you get when voters choose their own preferences um, mucks up these these near one hundred percent preference flows that you get under group ticket voting. So the more voters uh, votes uh, below the line, the more these preference spirals where people get elected from zero point six percent, one percent, two percent, the more those fall over. I don't usually editorialize much in this podcast. I don't tell people what to do in terms of how they vote, but people should vote below the line. Everyone who's listening to this who's on the roll in Victoria should vote below the line. Like That's just a, a thing everyone should do. You should tell all your friends and family, vote below the line. It's pretty easy. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, and it's not it's not difficult to vote below the line in Victoria. If you, if you want to, you can vote one to five and stop. 
it's better to, to keep going. It's better to number as many boxes as you feel comfortable numbering, at least preference all the parties that you uh, that you like or, or that you think are okay. If you're really dedicated, keep going through and put the ones that you uh, mildly dislike or have never heard of uh, ahead of the ones that you absolutely cannot stand. You know, it's just a better way of expressing your view rather than just saying, oh, my view is that one party should win, but I'm just going to throw away my choice about the others. And perhaps as knowledge of these group voting tickets spreads, people might say, oh, that's not all that bad. Look, the left parties are all preferencing the left parties. I can safely vote one above the line for my preferred left party. When you look more closely, there's there's often um, some choices that's, uh, that mess around with that and, and the, 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 the flows are not absolutely left to left. There's, there's been some other parties put in the mix in, in a few areas. And one particular concern for a lot of left voters might be that uh, left parties tend to put parties who have a reputation for being somewhat anti-vaxxy uh, ahead of the coalition. And the, the Health Australia Party in particular, uh, it's always been a bugbear that this party may someday get elected uh, off a very small vote share. And th- that risk is is present here again. And, you know, like part of the reason you should vote below the line is to control your own vote. But it's also that the dynamics of a party assigning all of their votes to another party makes elections weird and unpredictable and not very fair, you know, collectively for for the whole community, right? Like, I mean, the reason why we had to have a Senate re-election in WA in 2014 was because a handful of votes really early on in the count between a couple of random candidates decided two seats. And so they had to recount the whole state, which meant all the ballots seemed to be shipped in and they lost some, you know. We pushed the AEC to the breaking point and they broke. Um, we shouldn't have to push these electoral commissions to that kind of breaking point. It's not necessary when you don't have group voting tickets, when people just choose their own preferences. You don't get 100% preference flows. Anthony Green has a great blog post on this recently. You know, no one ever gets really over 50%. You know, that's just not how real people work. And um, the results just are a bit more natural when people get to choose their own preferences. This point about system integrity, the, the, the 2013 um Western Australia Senate election was indeed ruined by the loss of a small, a relatively small number of ballot papers, which uh, affected this tipping point between two irrelevant parties that that neither of which were actually capable of being elected, and that then trashed the whole election. Group ticket voting creates these tipping points. They tend not to exist nearly so much when voters choose their own preferences, and. There is a risk that someday this will happen in, in Victoria if Victoria keeps keeps going with the system. There have been cases since then where ballot papers have been uh, lost or invalidated through issues in small numbers. And you know, with a big election, it's hard to avoid that, that risk happening somewhere. And when you have these really close tipping points all through the count, there's just a risk that someday we will have another election voided if we keep having group ticket voting. Before we finish on below the line voting, it will make it interesting on election night and a couple of days afterwards because we're going to know the primary votes of the of the parties. We won't really know how many of those votes are above or below the line, right? So we will get these calculated that Anthony Green's going to put together again that will tell you what would happen if every vote was above the line. But we know that every vote won't be. Last time, 9% was below the line. If our efforts have any success, hopefully that number will crack 10%, maybe even more. 
and that will kind of make the elections a little bit more unpredictable because those preference flows won't be as strong, but it won't, it, they will still not be the natural preference flows you would see if you got rid of group voting. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head how, how quickly um, you find out how many votes in, in Victoria for parties are, um, are above the line or below the line. This is this is varied uh, in, in different uh, systems. But another issue is that the results can be tremendously sensitive to the slight movements in uh, primary vote tallies that you get as postal votes and absent votes and so on are added in. And we have, for instance, Reason ended up winning uh, last time, but didn't really seem to be obviously in the frame on election night. And then their their position uh, improved. From memory, they were very sensitive to the point at which the Greens candidate got elected. Um, as the Greens picked up, Reason's position improved. What do we think is going to happen overall? I think probably we're still going to have a pretty large, pretty diverse crossbench. You know, we think Labor's going to win the election, so there's a bit of a progressive shift in the votes. So maybe that means that the, that left block will gain a bit more of the balance of power. But what do you think if you zoom out and you think, what will the overall picture of this upper house look like? I haven't tried to model the overall party totals, but, but it... Looks like at the moment there may be not as many non-green crossbenchers this time, but there could still be several. And who they'll be, whether they'll be parties from the so-called alliance exclusively or whether there's going to be a few others mixed in with them, uh, we'll have to uh, to wait and find out because these things are so so very unpredictable. I've, I've generally seen you know, sort of the best predictions of these elections get about half of the micro parties who are going to who are going to win right. There's some forecasts floating around with sort of claims that so and so is virtually hundred percent chance, but it's it's often really hard to get that that sort of thing right. Don't do it. whether there'll be anything assuming that I mean at the at the moment it seems that that Labour is on track to uh, to win the lower house fairly comfortably. Um whether you could get anywhere near a left majority in the upper house seems difficult, but we'll see how it goes. I don't think you'll get a Labor Greens majority, but you know, if if animal justice, reason, legalized cannabis have a good night, um, maybe with those parties you could. Even Transport Matters, who it seems like the Greens at least are treating as somewhat progressive. Yes, well, Transport Matters have, have worked with Labor quite a bit in the in the previous parliament, so um, I don't think uh, Labor will be um, too distressed to have them back. Um, it will be interesting to see if there are the numbers for any kind of reform to this system. Uh, the, the the current parliament has been a, a disaster for, for reform with Labor not pursuing it. The Liberals initially supporting it, but Crabbe walking away from it. And in the end, it was basically only the, the Greens who had a, a position and there was only uh, there was only one of them. There was reason to have a position of supporting uh, group ticket voting, but uh, but changing the ability of consultants to make money out of it, which I think would do very little to actually resolve the problem. My last topic I was going to ask you about was reform. Like, what should we do? What could be done? Five-member regions are not that proportional, and I think probably if you got rid of group voting tickets, the evidence shows me, you know, the Greens will win seats, 
Um, the shooters might win seats. You know, if another party does well, if One Nation has a good year, they might win seats. But you wouldn't see parties with tiny votes getting elected. Just wouldn't happen. Um, and that's obviously a dilemma because I, I don't think a, a magnitude five upper house is great. Like, I'm not a huge fan of that. I think it's good if a few more smaller parties get elected. And it's interesting that Victoria is now the only upper house. Tasmania's got a very different system, but on the mainland, only upper house that has regents. WA is now going to lists, a statewide list. Um, and I think it adds complications because it's a constitutional issue, much more complicated to get reform. But I think there's a certain logic to saying, okay, we think it's good that small parties get elected, but not this way. Small parties should get elected proportionally. And the answer is we'll just get rid of the regions. You know, we'll elect 40 people all at once and we'll just do it. We'll see how WA goes in 2025 with STV because there's a whole, I don't think I'll get into it today, but I think at that point there's an argument about getting rid of preferences and just doing lists like they do in Europe. Um, makes it a lot easier. I think it'll be quite hard to run single transferable vote elections for 37 seats in Western Australia in 2025. But I think there's an argument for that, which is just get rid of the regions. A lot of these people would still get elected anyway, but they wouldn't have to engage in this trickery um you know, the ones that get elected are the ones that have a real vote. You know, New South Wales, the shooters have had seats in parliament for decades. Christian Democrats look like they're on the way out, but they had seats in parliament for decades. You can get elected probably on two and a half to three percent, but you don't, it's just, it's mostly based on what vote you get. Um, and I think there's a strong argument that that would be the answer. Uh, but right now, I mean, I don't know where the Liberals thinking is really at, but I think Victorian Labor at least thinks a lot of this works for us. I don't think Victorian Labor is holding back because they don't have the numbers. I think they're holding back because they're not enthusiastic about a system where uh, Greens get more people elected and these other randoms don't. It is an issue here that if you go to an 8 by 5 system without group ticket voting and just with just with voter preferences, then the cost bench is going to be mostly Greens and you'll get the odd seat for other parties with with local support you'll probably get more mergers among right-wing parties to try to build up that that support but on the whole it's it makes life very hard for parties that are only getting a few percent of the vote now i have i also have no issue at all with the idea that a party that gets a few percent of the vote statewide should be represented but it should be represented in a way that makes it accountable to the people who put it in there so that it has to keep getting that few percent to hold its seats, which we've seen happens in, in New South Wales. And so ideally the solution is to go to a statewide electorate like in, in other states or at least to some kind of um, clustering of the, of the regions into larger regions. The problem is that the uh, Brax government reforms uh, entrenched this eight by five system in the uh, the constitution, which was a ghastly thing to do. Uh, unbelievable, really, that, that you would do that. And it's made it now very challenging to unpick it. How do you, how do you unpick it without a referendum? Or do you have actually have to bite the bullet and say, we stuffed up uh, and we need a referendum to change this system to deliver fairness to voters? And uh, such a referendum might be opposed. There's no guarantee that it will pass. So I think the only way forward here is 
bipartisan reform that both Labor and the Liberals agree that this must be fixed and they probably have to wait till the end of the parliament to get the numbers to do it but but they but at the end of the parliament they just do they just do it on man for a change um so that but even so um eight by five is not ideal that that, that district magnitude is too low we've seen in tasmania that it's been very hard for uh, for fourth parties uh to win in five seat systems and they haven't done too well in the act for quite a while either that's all true, yeah. Uh, the other thing I would say as well about what would happen without group voting tickets and with the current 8x5 system is uh, like probably if you have a progressive majority, if, if Labor wins the election, you have a Greens balance of power. But if the coalition wins the election, you know, short of a change in the party structure, you may just have a coalition majority, right? Like that is what happened in 2010. They won the slimmest of all lower house majorities and they also won a slim upper house majority because they got a solid three quotas in four of the eight regions. So that's three seats in each of those. And then in a fifth one, they squeaked by. They got two and a half quotas and there wasn't the same minor party organisation back then as there are there is now. The major party vote was much higher and they squeaked through and probably... That's what you would see if one side of politics didn't have a particular strong major party. I think right now the shooters would win in some of those regions, but in urban Melbourne, there's no right-wing party that's strong enough. And so maybe the answer is mergers. You know, that can happen. People can genuinely express preferences. All those things can happen, but it's work. Um, You know, you're probably right about the referendum. It's probably too much of a hassle. Um, but I also I'm going to keep making the argument for it because I think there is a logic to it. Interestingly, I saw a tweet from Animal Justice earlier today that implied maybe they think something similar, which is they were saying we support abolishing group voting tickets, but we need to do it with proportional representation. And I'm like, well, technically you have proportional representation now. Five members is proportional, but I think they have a point, which is five members is not that proportional. That sounds like they're fishing for a um, for inclusion in my uh, my guide to uh, the list of parties that want to do something about group ticket voting. Get a get a B minus or whatever, which will rank them very highly. Yeah, I don't know. If, if a party if a party says um, we want to abolish group ticket voting and go to and go to a proportional system, I'm I'm you know I'm happy with that because at least they're saying we, we need to abolish group ticket voting. <laughs> I don't mind what they're you know if they if they've got. I mean, I think that. Ideally, this does need to go to a referendum. Ideally, this does need to be the Labor government, assuming that Labor is still in government, um, saying we stuffed up and we need the voters' help to fix it. Uh, it does need to be considered whether it, you know, it does need to be carefully examined to make sure that there there haven't been any loopholes left whereby the entrenchment can be unpicked. But I, I think the general view is that it was properly entrenched and that you you do need a referendum to uh, to uh, fix it. One thing I will say on that also is that uh, I have looked at the, the modelling surrounding whether the coalition will win a majority and it's harder for them now to do what they did in 2010 because of the declining uh, vote share for the major parties. And so at the moment, I think that if they repeated their 2010 lower house result, they would not quite get a majority in the upper house. It would be it'd be close. The funny thing about that one was that that happened under group ticket voting as well. I think the argument for the referendum is you package deal the whole thing. You say, okay, we don't want to force this in over the heads of the crossbench. We want to make a deal with at least the progressive crossbenchers. You know, if people like Fiona Patton, Animal Justice get re-elected and say, okay, you guys know this system is bad, but you want to get re-elected. We want to give you a chance. 
voters know this system is bad, right? They get it, they're going to be stuck with these huge ballot papers that are absurdly sized. You can package deal all this and say these are all caused by the same original sin, which is group voting tickets. And to keep it fair for people, you know, Labor Party made the argument in 2016 in the Senate about how un- sad this was that we weren't going to have all these crossbenches, and they kind of had a point, you know. If I could vote in a referendum to elect the whole Senate every three years, 12 senators at a time, I probably would. Um, it would add some complications, but I think overall it would be more democratic. So I don't know. I think there's a case to be made there, but I don't think Labor, particularly not while they're led by Daniel Andrews, who shows no interest in these issues, um, is going to go anywhere. And it would be a lot easier just to do a deal with Libs and just cut those guys out um, the way that you know Turnbull and the Greens and they thought they had Labor on the side in 2016 in the Senate did. But it may well not happen at all. We may be back here in four years recording the same podcast, Kevin. Yes, I fear that they could be the case. I, I did even try to um, interest them in if you couldn't, you know, if you if you weren't willing to to get rid of group ticket voting, if you weren't willing to, uh, to go to a referendum, um, you know, at least do some things to to reduce its impact, allow preferencing above the line, or uh, bring in thresholds so that a party has to get four percent to be uh, to be elected. Um, things like this, but there's just no interest whatsoever in the in the current term of Parliament. So that's about it for this episode of the Tallyman Podcast. Thank you, Kevin, for joining me. You're welcome. So, Kevin, what's going to be coming up for you with the coverage of this election? At the moment, it looks like I'll be just doing online coverage via a, a post on my website, followed by the uh, the usual uh, rolling out of uh, post count threads where I follow um, close seats that are of interest and. Uh, seats that are also the the legislative council counts and um i will have various other articles in the uh in the lead up to the election i have one currently up about the situation with uh, how to vote cards for uh teal independence and there will be others about polling and modeling and whatever else comes up but i don't know how many of those there will be yet i'm looking forward to seeing all of that You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Bro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Remember to vote below the line at least one to five if you're voting in the Victorian election. Once again, thanks for listening. <laughs>